morning. Welcome to the third and final in our series of conversations that we've called uh, Being Rich, Living Poor. And we don't believe you're here by accident. And as we were singing this morning, I have to say I was particularly aware of that for uh, those who are watching. I, I just have a sense today that um, God has something that he wants to say. Um, did you know that there are regularly uh, auctions, routinely, for safety deposit boxes? Uh, evidently, if a box, a safety deposit box has no activity on it, and the leases aren't paid for a period of time, somewhere between one and four, five years, I think, depending on the state, then the, the bank will turn it over to the state and uh, you know, they'll get whatever out of it that they can and they will auction those boxes off. Now, in that process, the bank usually tries to find the next of kin to the person who owned the safety deposit box because, you know, they, I guess they want to do the right thing. They also want to get their, their lease money back. But I want you to imagine that you are the next of kin and you have an uncle who had a safety deposit box and uh, no one knew especially what was in the box, but the bank finds you and, and sends you a letter, and uh, you leave the letter unopened. Or, or maybe you open the letter, but you don't bother to go to the safety deposit box because, uh, you know, what does your uncle know? And inside his safety deposit box, I looked these things up, by the way, he has an autograph rookie card of baseball card of Babe Ruth, an unsigned one, believe it or not, recently sold at auction for $6 million. And he has a, I didn't even know what this was, but a silver flowing hair U.S. silver dollar, one recently sold at auction for $10 million. And he has a previously unknown print of uh, Picasso similar to one which recently sold at auction for $5 million. In other words, you are loaded. Since you're the next of kin, you, your financial worries are over. Um, this very nearly illustrates the condition we find ourselves in spiritually. We are rich, but we often live poorly in 2 Peter 1.3, Peter reminds us that God has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him. I'm going to say that again. Peter reminds us that God has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him. We are rich, but we often don't access the riches that are available to us. Why do we drink more than we should? Why do, we, why do we look at unwholesome things on the internet? Why do we gossip with glee, savoring the juicy stories about others that are probably true? Why do we nurse anger and worry? Nurse it, rehearse that speech. Why do we judge others? Over time, we have built a box of goodies that's based on our personality, our, our strength, 
our experiences, our, our family history. And that box of goodies includes patterns of relating to others and patterns of handling stress and patterns of handling disappointment and hurt. We've built a box of goodies and whenever we face a challenge, we rummage through our box of goodies and uh, leave alone God's safety deposit box because our box of goodies has, has worked for us to a degree. So that's where we go. Meanwhile, we have available to us a box of goods that will effectively carry us through any crisis, including our current crisis. Uh, Adam Grant is a professor at Wharton Business School uh, in, at Columbia University. And uh, he's a for the last 10 years, he's been a best-selling author a number of times over. He has a TED Talk, pretty recent TED Talk, last few months. It's called Languishing. And this is Adam Grant's idea for uh, the prevailing emotional environment for us during the pandemic. He, he thinks that we are all perhaps suffering from languishing. So, he, you know, he asks a, a series of rhetorical questions to sort of position us in, in where we're living right now. He says, why do we feel so, so purposeless? Why, why is our motivation so low? We're not exactly depressed. We're not, we're not sad exactly or even lonely, but, but why the lack of motivation? Why are we binging Netflix shows that we don't even like? He uses a very technical, philosophical term to categorize this. He calls it meh. Uh, we talked about this last week. This, this is not what we were designed for. We, we asked ourselves a series of questions week before last, actually. You remember this? We said, is Jan accessing God's work in his life to such a degree that he is experiencing a deep wellspring of love and goodwill so that Jan lives with such security and confidence that others are experiencing him as for them? Uh, he doesn't move into relationships for what he can get. He moves into relationships for what he can give. We asked... Uh, if Suda is accessing God's work in her life to such a degree that she is experiencing such unshakable joy at the foundation of who she is that she is increasingly difficult to discourage. We asked, is, is Jordan accessing God's work in his life so that he's experiencing an abiding peace that allows him to, to live with a sense of calm without hurry and worry? If you were here a couple of weeks ago, we talked about the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. These, the, these are the kinds of people that God is building. This is what's in God's safety deposit box. This is a part of what he's offering us. We want some of that. So how do we access all that God has for us? And we're going to close this out this morning by talking about how. And at the very end, I'm going to get really practical today. But I'll start with a kind of Jesus's kind of big picture analysis. So how do we access what God is offering us? And Jesus tells us some of that in John chapter 15. So we're going to read this morning, John chapter 15, and, and we're only going to take the first eight verses today. But John chapter 15, verses 1 through 8 and uh, let's do some spiritual aerobics, go old school, and stand out of reverence for God's Word. This is Jesus speaking. 
I am the true vine. That's a big one. We'll get to that in a little while. And my father is the gardener. So you're getting the picture. It's a great and elaborate uh, image. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. While every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. Now, you are already clean. Interestingly, in the Greek, that word clean is the same word as the word prune. This is, this is the adjective and the noun version of this word. And it, it means in this case kind of fit to produce fruit. So you have already been fitted to produce fruit. You've already been cleaned up. The deadheads have already been knocked off of you. You've been pruned down so that you can produce more fruit, but he absolutely prunes completely off of the vine, those who are fruitless, uh, so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me, and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If a, if a person remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit apart from me. You can do nothing. If anyone does not remain in me, he is like a branch that's thrown away and, and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be given you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. You may be seated. Okay, so let's get the picture here. Uh, Jesus is the vine. Um, he's, that means, of course, he's, he's the source of life. He's the source of nourishment for us. I want you to follow this chart, if you would. Now, this is, this is kind of a, a wacky thing for uh, Jesus to say. Go to the chart. I think it's in the slides. Yeah. Um, Jesus is the vine. He's, he's the source of our spiritual nourishment. Let's recognize that many people in our culture admire Jesus. They think he's a great teacher. They don't buy the whole shtick, the whole Jesus story. Let's recognize that the guy who says this kind of thing is not just a good teacher. He's either who he said he is or he's completely wacky. He is, he is here suggesting that he is the source of our spiritual nourishment. Jesus is the vine. Secondly, notice, of course, God is the, gar the Father is the gardener. So uh, this talks about how the, the God the Father deals with the branches, the various branches. And fruitful branches, fruitful branches happens. It's, it's because of uh, remaining in him. We are fruitful because we remain in him. And Fruitless branches, that results from not being connected to the vine. Okay, so, so how does uh, the, the father deal with these? What, what is the father's activity? Hold on, before I say that, look at that. Fruitful branches results from remaining in him. Fruitless branches results from not being connected to the vine. This is the point. Remaining in him is the key to accessing what the father has for us. It's, it's the key to, being, to leading a fruitful life, having a real vital connection to him, 
remaining in him, being connected to him. So if we want to access all that God offers, we have to nurture a real connection to God in Christ through faith. Say that again. This is the point of Jesus' illustration. If we want to access all that God offers us, we have to nurture a real connection to God in Christ through faith. All right? Uh, look next at his activity. He, verse 2, he prunes those he loves so they'll be more fruitful. And, and uh, he also cuts off those who are fruitless. And the results of that, obviously, verse 5, those who bear fruit uh, are who are fruitful, they'll bear even more fruit because they've been pruned. And, and fruitless branches, they'll be thrown out and wither in the fire. Then, down to verse 7, You'll notice in verse 7 that, that remaining in him is equated with being in his word. This is a big one, so let me read it again. If you remain in him and my words remain in you. If you remain in him and my words remain in you. What does that mean? Well, uh, first of all, let's talk about what it doesn't mean. He's talking literally about his words. Let's talk about what it doesn't mean. It doesn't mean that we worship the Bible. We don't. We don't even worship the speeches of Jesus. We worship Jesus. Plus, I want us to recognize that there may be times in our lives when, when we can, and maybe even should, take a break from even reading the Bible. There could be various reasons for that. But, as a general rule, our connection to Jesus and therefore our relationship to God will be a direct result of being in the Bible. Generally speaking, our connection to Jesus and therefore our relationship with God will be a direct resu result of us being in the Bible. Because this is his story. Let me explain that. <laughs> Generally speaking, this book is his story because this is the story of people who believe in God attempting to interact with him, and it's the story of God revealing himself to those people. But more specifically, this book, this whole thing, is Jesus's story, and we see that even in this passage. And here's how, and I love this. Notice that Jesus calls himself the vine. I am the true vine, he says. I want you to hear something. This will not be on the screen, but listen. This is from Psalm 80. And I'm going to read verses 7 through 11. Psalm 80. Restore us, O God Almighty. Make your face shine upon us that we may be saved. You brought a vine out of Egypt. You drove out the nations and planted it. You cleared the ground for it. And it took root and filled the land. The mountains were covered with its shade. The mighty cedars with its branches. It sent out its boughs to the sea. Its shoots as far as the river. Uh, Israel thought of itself as God's vine. In fact, that was, that was the preeminent overriding image by concept by which Israel thought of itself. Just like, you know, the eagle has been used as an image of the United States. Well, even more so, the, the vine was Israel's self-concept. It, it thought of itself as God's vine. In fact, Israel as, is represented as a vine on all of the coins during the Maccabean period. And the Maccabees ruled Israel about 100 years before Jesus. So when Jesus says, I am the true vine, this is not a casual reference. 
This would have been a bit mind-blowing for his first hearers. And, 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 and one of the things that that means is that this story, the whole Bible, is Jesus' story. The story of Israel, the story of the vine, is, is the story of Jesus. So remaining in Jesus, nursing a really dynamic connection with him involves knowing and following and being connected to this word, this book. As a general rule, our connection to Jesus and therefore our relationship with God will be a direct result of us being in the Bible. We're going to come back to that in a minute when we get real practical at the end. Finally, I think it's worth noting that Jesus doesn't fully define fruitfulness. Do you see that? Apart from saying that it will be much fruit, and then later in the chapter he calls it fruit that lasts. Besides that, he doesn't fully explain it. But it's clear that he means being able to live a godly life in all circumstances. He, he probably also has in mind the kinds of things we talked about two weeks ago, the, the fruit of the Spirit. But he does offer one direct hint, right? He suggests that fruitfulness involves effectiveness in prayer. Do you see that in verse 7? He said this, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be given you. All right, first of all, wow. Now, obviously, Jesus does not intend to turn God into our personal genie. We know it's more complicated than that. There are, there are other times when, when we're, we're taught, Jesus himself teaches us to to pray in connection with God's will. And, and we're taught that we have to pray with right motives or, or our prayers won't even be heard. We're, we're taught that we have to pray while our relationship slate is clean or we won't, won't be heard. There, there are caveats to this, but despite all the caveats, here it is. Jesus says this crazy thing, and many of us, maybe most of us, are missing this level of effectiveness in our prayers. We're rich, but we're living really poor. I'm going to pause here for a second. I have a sense that we're, um, we, we might be spiritually drifting even this morning. So let's pause over this. Jesus told us that if we remain in him and he remains in us, ask whatever you wish and it will be given you. So you've got to find some category for that. You've got to figure out some way to not believe that or you've got to figure out some way to make that work in your head because that's crazy. And yet that is literally his offer. And many of us do not experience that level of effectiveness in our prayers. We're rich, but we're living poor. His final comment here is an interesting one. He explains in verse 8 that our fruitfulness is a display of God's greatness. Verse 8, he says, This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. So in other words, the Father has a vested interest in us being fruitful. He's not hiding his goodies from us. He, he wants us to have full access. Then why are we not accessing more of what God has for us? In large part, again, it's because often when we face trouble 
or trial or when we get lost or lonely, we dig into our box of goodies and we don't open God's safety deposit box. We do not fully lean into a connection to Jesus. We do not find answers and solace and strength in his word. All right. All God's people said amen. Now, we can't end this series of conversations without making this very practical. Uh, a month ago or three weeks ago, when I first started this series, first Sunday, Being Rich, Living Poor, uh, <clears throat> Eric Foch, our drummer, sometimes drummer, Lance is playing this morning. Eric grabbed me backstage after the service and he said, that, you know, this is, this is kind, I mean, what you're talking about is kind of it. After you become a Christian, this is, this is, this is sort of, you're talking about the whole thing. And of course, he's right. This, this, is, this is the basics of how to do this. This is, this is how to be a Christian 101. So let's end with a bit of Christianity 101 this morning. <clears throat> how do we remain in him? How do we, if, if, if remaining in him, if, if staying connected to him is the key to accessing God's safety deposit box, then how do we remain in him? How do we stay connected? <clears throat> well, in the passage couple of weeks ago, you may remember Paul used the phrase, walk in the Spirit or live in the Spirit. It's really the same idea. How do we live in the Spirit? How do we stay in the flow of, of a connection to Him and, and His will? If this is the key to accessing all that God has for us, how do we do it? How do we nurse a genuine connection to Jesus? And our first practical hint is to look at Jesus himself. I mean, Jesus is the vine, he said. He, he, he is where we get our nutrients. And Jesus had access, full access, to all that the Father offered. So how do we do that? Well, if you miss everything else, don't miss this. If we want to live like Jesus then we will have to live like Jesus. If we want to live like Jesus, then we will have to live like Jesus. Remember, Jesus was a person of deep prayer. We're told repeatedly that he prayed early in the morning. He, he withdrew to pray on a number of occasions. He prayed whenever he faced any kind of trouble. He prayed whenever he saw any kind of need. He prayed constantly. Prayer was a central habit of his life. If we want to live like Jesus, then we'll have to live like Jesus. We will have to make prayer a central habit of our lives. We'll have to re-up on that this fall. If we want to open God's safety deposit box, we've got to rededicate ourselves to a life of prayer. And it's also clear that Jesus knew the Bible. His teachings allude to the Old Testament stories and principles constantly. And, and he knew how to use the Bible. In conflict settings with his critics, he would often reference the Bible in really sophisticated ways. And when he was tempted, Jesus used the Bible as his tool to battle those temptations. If we want to live like Jesus, then we'll have to live like Jesus. And, and Jesus made the Bible a central habit in his life. And then we'll add other spiritual practices to that, like fasting and silence 
and meditation and, and journaling and Sabbath keeping. We will dive into spiritual practices. We will live like Jesus if we want to live like Jesus. We won't go into our box of goodies. Every time we face stress or, or difficulty, we won't open up our box of goodies. We won't find ourselves looking at something we shouldn't look at. We won't find ourselves nursing anger or worry. We won't find ourselves drinking too much. Instead, we will, if we want to live like Jesus, we will live like Jesus. We'll practice spiritual habits. If we want to access more of what God has for us this fall, we will dedicate ourselves. And for many of us, that's rededicate ourselves to these practices. No relationship can be maintained without some investment of time and energy. And the relationship with Jesus is no different. If we want access to more of what God has for us this fall, we will dedicate ourselves to this. Now, we also have to warn ourselves, don't we? We have to be very careful about how we approach this. Look, if we do these things, if we decide to get serious about Bible study or about learning how to pray or about meditation or, or Sabbath keeping, etc. If we, if we do these things to be more religious or because we hope it will help us not worry or because our parents or our wife really want us to and we want to please them or because we want God to forgive us and bless us or because we want to earn his favor, we want to be good enough. If we do these things for any of those reasons, it won't work. It's not sustainable, and that's not spiritually nutritious. Remember, we said a couple of weeks ago, religion is spelled D-O. But the gospel, which Jesus offered, is spelled D-O-N-E. But if, if we read the Bible because we want to know more about Jesus, our friend and our Savior... If, if we want to know more of what makes him tick, if we want to know more about the God who loves us, then that will produce life and, and lasting fruit. If, if we pray because we want to train our hearts and our minds to the rhythm of heaven, because we don't want to, we don't want to be so hurried and worried, we want to see as he sees and love what he loves, because we want to know him more and we want to be more fully known, then that will produce life and fruit in us. Come on. Gateway, we can do this. I, I have had, this isn't a toss-away comment. I have uh, felt some rumblings. I've, there have been a couple of indications over the last two weeks that God is beginning to stir in a, a special way. Uh, it's been a while since I've felt that here, Honestly. I'm, I'm feeling the stirrings of God. We can do this. And, and we must. Let's, let's lean in. This is the time. Let's, let's, let's seize what God has for us. As individuals, as families, as a church, I might not have ever said anything more important here than what I'm saying this morning. This is Christianity 101, remember. Let's dig in this fall. We're, we are very rich people. And I don't mean because we live in the wealthiest county in America or one of the three wealthiest counties in America. That is immaterial. We are very rich people. Let's access those riches. 
So let's think for a second before we conclude about the construction of our schedules this fall. So here's how we are prone to construct our schedules. And I'll take the typical example of those of you who have children around you at home. But the same principle works for those of you who do not have kids or for those of you who uh, uh, your kids are gone. But we construct our schedules something like this. It varies from person to person. But we, we, we have work projects. And then we have work projects. And then we have work assignments. And then we have work to-do list. And then we have home to-do list. And then we have uh, children's uh, sports activities. And then we have uh, children's school. And then we have uh, children's bedtime. And then we have wanting to have family meals together. And then we have, you get it. By the way, those are all good things. And what happens is toward the end of that list of priorities, we add in, oh, and wherever we can squeeze it in, let's dedicate some time to trying to access the safety deposit box. Let's dedicate some time to spiritual practices. It's wherever we can squeeze that in, and we wonder why our hearts drift we wonder why we feel disconnected. We wonder why we're not accessing all that God has for us. I want to end this whole uh, series of conversations with my all-time favorite quote. It's by C.S. Lewis. It comes from his book, The Weight of Glory. C.S. Lewis says this, We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at sea. We are far too easily pleased. It is an absolute paradox that our connection to God has nothing to do with our effort on the one hand. Remember, it's not about about doing it's about what God has done but on the other hand without our full participation we cannot live in the benefits of that connection that's a paradox but it's the way reality works so our full all-in participation is required in fact our full surrender is required if we want to access the holiday at sea but far too often we settle we accept what's easy and familiar. We are too easily pleased, and therefore, we live lives of meh. So let's not do that. Let's do it differently this fall. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up. Let's, let's pray. Lord, I, um, I think for myself this morning, I, I've got to... Uh, I've got to remember to construct my schedule around uh, time with you and pursuit of you and nurturing our relationship. 
I've got to remember that you are what, you are the most important thing. You are what I need. You are where I find nourishment. Uh, I feel especially tempted, Father, because I do religious work. And it is too easy to neglect the essential work of relationship with you. I want to pray that over us as a body of believers. I, I just have a feeling, Lord, that if we, as a group of people, um, you're waiting for a group of people who would get ser serious about this. Uh, you are ready to change our region. Um, so uh, start with us. Whatever the, whatever message you have for each of us, Lord, I pray that you would seal it and protect it. Um, secure the promises that we make to you to, to adjust our schedule. Lord, help us do that. Uh, secure the promises that we make to adjust our set of priorities. Help us do that. Help us step into this, Lord Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen.